Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. I will read to you Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was upstream, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen, who was upstream, raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, all these things would be accomplished. I heard one, I'm sorry, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of these wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. For the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination shall, um, that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevered and attain the 1,335 days. But you go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the day. This be the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. Today I have Mark, uh, it is third, Mark 13, verses 1 to 8. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, Teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew, asked privately, tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many may come in my name and say, I, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. 
this must take place. But the end is still to come, for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Swedenborg, true Christianity. People who love the Lord's kingdom, love all in the whole world who acknowledge the Lord, have faith in him and have goodwill toward their neighbor. They also love all who are in heaven. People who love the Lord's kingdom love the Lord above all else. They have more love for God than others do. This is because the church in the heavens and on earth is the Lord's body. They are in the Lord and the Lord is in them. Loving the Lord's kingdom then is fully loving their neighbor. People who love the Lord's kingdom not only love the Lord about all else, they also love their neighbor as themselves. Love for the Lord is a universal love. It affects every aspect of spiritual life and also every aspect of earthly life. This is because love for the Lord dwells in the highest reaches of us and the things at the top flow into things lower down and bring them to life in the same way that our will flows into all our intentions and actions and our intellect flows into all our thoughts and conversations. Anyone know the history of that hymn by any chance? It's a very triumphant militaristic hymn that was written specifically to quell an unruly horde. A group of Sunday school kids, as they walked across the bridge from their schoolhouse to the chapel, the hymn was written so they would sing it so the schoolmaster could have more control of them while they walked. That's the mighty army. However, in that, just like within our normal tradition, we hear some very strong militaristic language of great power. Kingdom against kingdom. I think the translation that we may have used in, in the actual worship bulletin doesn't use those words. But kingdom against kingdom is how it's normally translated. The Bible is full of this kind of strong language. Over and over again, we hear about battles. I don't know how many people are, are really conversant with the Bible. But if you like war stories and you like violence, the Bible is a great book. No, no, we have, we have this picture of the Bible as this book that tells us that we're supposed to run around and hug each other, right? I'm not saying it doesn't. But a lot of the Bible is about battles and conflict. It's about good waging war over evil, or is it evil waging war over good sometimes? We hear about righteous warriors versus the corrupt and evil enemy. We hear of great wars in the Valley of Armageddon all the way to the beginning of the Bible when we hear about the various people whose tongues were confused and were destined for a life 
of conflict. The prophets, Exodus, Genesis, you name it, there is conflict and there is war. In our reading for today, we hear of great battles. Daniel talks about conflict. Jesus himself is talking about the destruction of the temple and kingdom versus kingdom. This is a really good Thanksgiving topic, right? No. These passages are picked up by people and used oftentimes in our history, believe it or not, as permission to be violent. I am a soldier of God, therefore it's okay for me to go and kill those people. We use the Bible throughout our history to justify oppositional language and oppositional force that is violent and horrible. We use righteousness as a banner to march against anyone who would stand in the way. The great wars of the Bible, we were the victors who stood against the defeated people because we are God's chosen people. That's an interesting narrative. When you actually read the text, do you know what happened to the chosen people? They lost. They lost all the time. The chosen people, actually, were kicked out of their homes in multiple exiles. The promise we have is one, oftentimes, that's actually geared toward restoration because we have lost so many battles. But yet we always want to to right ourselves on the side of the winner, right? Because we're, we're going to win. We are the winners. We are the right one. There is no way on earth that I can be wrong. Not sure about Reverend Leach, but I know I'm always right. <laughs> Most of the stories in Scripture talk about actual relationships, All of these wars are about relationships. They're one, you could say, the geopolitical relationships of the days, but whether or not the people of Israel have their land is based on whether or not they were doing what God wanted them to do, which was keep the law and the covenant. It's important to note that none of these stories were about the individual family, They were all about the whole people of Israel. The promise of riches and so forth that are sometimes spoke about in the prophets are not the prophets of individual wealth. They're the the wealth of the people. It's not written as a personal statement of if I do this, I get to win the lottery. It's about the wealth of the people. It's about the relationship between the people to God, and it's about the relationship with the people to themselves. Oftentimes, the prophets are actually commenting on the leader's relationship to their people. So I have a question for you. Do you think the people who were in charge of Israel. The people who were in charge of Jerusalem, so when I say Israel, I mean the northern kingdom. When I say Jerusalem, I mean the southern kingdom. Okay? 
Many people do not realize, but the kingdoms got divided, and they both lost their battles, okay? Do you think that those leaders sat there and felt that they were righteous, that they were doing the right thing, that they were protecting their people? And when the prophets came and said, hey, you're not doing what's right, they said, <laughs> I'm the king. You're, who are you? You're nobody. Uh-oh. How about the armies that were advancing against the people of Israel? Do you think that they prayed and felt that they were right? I'm guessing they did. Do you think as the kingdoms were wiped out, they, they were saying, but, 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 but we're the chosen people? I bet you they were. This week we celebrate Thanksgiving. It is a holiday that we all know the story, right? The, the pilgrims came to the country and they couldn't get enough food. And I, I believe the famous person that we attribute it to is Squanto helped them plant their crops, and their crops became victorious, and, and we all had a big meal and celebrated and were friends, right? That's Thanksgiving for us. Okay, so in one of the more unThanksgiving acts, I'm going to talk a little bit about what Thanksgiving was. Thanksgiving, after we came over here and um, basically, through disease, wiped out most of Squanta's people. We then came back again, and he was the only one, after we took some of his people into slavery and after um, most of his tribe had died of smallpox, that understood English. He became our ambassador to the other Native American tribes, who, one in particular, we created the, the Wampanoag tribe. We created a treaty with that group. We had a huge meal after signing that treaty that said, we promise not to kill you if you don't kill us. Now here's the problem with this treaty. We also said, if anybody messes with you, we have your back. Which meant that every other Native American tribe in New England that touched any colonist or any member of that tribe became an enemy. That tribe and the colonists wiped out most of the other tribes of Native Americans in New England. And you know what they did after every single battle? Had a meal. They had a Thanksgiving. Thank you. A day of Thanksgiving proclaimed by governors. In fact, there was a time period when the fall and spring, there were Thanksgivings all over the place. This is one of the reasons why, why it was good to say, hey, we need to have just one day. I think Washington said, you should really just celebrate one day of Thanksgiving. Then Lincoln came along. Gotta love Lincoln. Lincoln came along and said, we are going to have one Thanksgiving, and it's going to be on the first Thursday of November. And he signed that, the third. Did I say first? Third. You guys missed it. Third. Fourth. I'm going to go back to my notes here. Yep. Fourth day. It says it right there. Fourth Thursday of November. What gets me is, you know what he orders right almost immediately following that? The U.S. military to wipe out a Native American tribe in the West. But he uses Thanksgiving 
Lincoln is responsible for our modern Thanksgiving. Because he had a country where household was fighting against household. He had a country where town was fighting against town, county against county, and state against state. He was trying to find some way of uniting the country, and he took the greatest demon of the white world, which was the Native American at that point, and said, there was a time that we were friends. If we could be friends with Native Americans, why can't we sit down to a family meal? He politically crafts Thanksgiving in a very popular way and sends it out as a push from the federal government so that we could begin to imagine having a meal with the person we identified as our enemy. Didn't really happen, but it's a beautiful dream. It's a dream of unity. Kingdom versus kingdom. Lincoln, you know, also had an issue where, you know, one of the famous things that people kept asking him? Hey, President Lincoln, is God on our side? And you know what his response was? He was a clever guy. Lincoln's response was never, yes, God is on our side. He would say, I don't know, but I hope we're on God's side. You see, Lincoln had an understanding of two kingdoms. He had an understanding of God's kingdom and the earthly kingdom. He had an understanding that you had two groups of people during the Civil War. You had the North and the South. They were praying to their gods. They were going to their churches. They were praying and believed that they were righteous and they were just. Lincoln knew that there were good Christians praying in the South, and he knew there were good Christians praying in the North, and he knew that neither one of them got along. He wanted to see unity. You see, he knew that God's reality is not, humans rea- is not humanity's reality. He knew that the political divisive systems that one could say were economic and all sorts of things, he, he knew that those were things of the earthly kingdom and not of the divine kingdom. Kingdom versus kingdom. What, what if this isn't permission for us to say that our point of view, our way of life, our country is better than someone else's? What if this is actually a realization that the spiritual kingdom and the earthly kingdom are oftentimes at odds? If God were looking down on earth, would he care about a lot of the things that we care about? I don't know. I'm not God. But have you ever tried? This is a fun little exercise. And if you want some homework, this is good homework. Mm-hmm. Next time you say a prayer, write it down, wait a day, come back to it and pretend that you're God. And reread your prayer. Walk, at, walk into it with an understanding that you have the ability to control all of humanity. And look at your prayer. And ask yourself, would I grant this? 
Who would be harmed if I granted this? What, just for fun, put yourself in God's shoes. We pray all the time, and, by, and I, I mean we. I'm not making myself better than anybody else. We pray for things of the earthly kingdom all the time. Garth Brooks has his famous song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. You know, what would happen if you got every prayer that you ever prayed for? You know, what would have happened to your life and that some of the things that you thought you really wanted, you didn't really want? What would happen if you simply said, every prayer I should have should be granted? What tower would you build? It would be like the Tower of Babylon that would eventually fall. What would happen if you read your prayer with an understanding of eternity and the millions of lives that are on this planet? Has anyone ever walked down a street in Boston and looked at the sheer number of windows and the sheer number of people and thought to yourself, every one of these people is thinking at the same time I am thinking. And just thought how many thoughts that could be. And could I conceive of that many thoughts? Anyone ever done that? I do that probably more than I should. There's a lot of people out there. Everything we do interacts with every other person. Our simple prayer that we think is just for us. Every person, right now, every person on the earth could pray to be rich, for instance. How does God answer that? If you had all the power and you could think about all those things, what would you do? Kingdom versus kingdom. Lincoln made Thanksgiving a national holiday, extolling a virtue of unity that might not have existed. What really existed was bloodshed, but what he wanted was for us to start thinking about unity. What would it mean for us to understand our thanksgiving as an archetypal lesson? What does it mean for you to sit down at thanksgiving and you look at all the Native Americans and cornucopia and all the stuff that we've put around thanksgiving? What if we understood that as not a quaint historical lesson about people who lived a long time ago who really needed to survive on farming before the winter. But what if you looked at it as enemy sitting with enemy, eating dinner together, because unity is more important than the division? What if we started looking at Thanksgiving that way? What if we took one day where we stopped worrying about issues of wealth, power, and control and embraced a notion of unity that was not around the blessings of what we've received, which is how it's come out, but what about the blessings of what could be? I'm flipping Thanksgiving on its head here. Anyone feel that? Sit around the Thanksgiving table, and instead of listing all the stuff you got and that you like and that you're comfortable with, you start listing all the things that you have that you can bring unity and transform the world with. Flip Thanksgiving on its head to the actual intended purpose that Lincoln had. How do I bring unity in a time of divisiveness? Just a thought. By the way, if anyone is not aware, the 
the, the fight over federalism and states' rights still happening. Right? Link, Thanksgiving didn't solve the problem that Lincoln was dealing with. But the idea of finding some way to have harshly divided households come together, that's powerful. Kingdom versus kingdom. When I hear that, I think about the Lord's kingdom. I think about the Lord talking about the stones that are going to be thrown down. I think about that in the sense that he's saying that this world changes. This world isn't what it was yesterday. This world is in a continual state of recreation. My question for you on Thanksgiving, with that in mind, with the idea of being thankful for something, how can we be thankful for something that's already happened? Because it's in the past. When we could be thankful for what it is that we have in the present. And that present power that will never leave us is the ability to love more fully than ever before. The Lord said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the things that you keep with you. What kingdom are you fighting for? Are you fighting for materialism in the world, a larger piece of that pie? Are you fighting for a kingdom of love and of God? If you're like me, you got one foot in each, right? Let's be honest. I really, I really want to be in the God kingdom. But you know what? I have this rent check that comes in every month. And I keep going back and forth and back and forth. And we all live in a conflicted state. We are all in a place of battle where we're fighting external things, pulling us one way or another. But what does it mean for us to have one day where we can really focus on this concept of unity and what the blessings we have to bring to the other. I'm talking about more than I'm going to go and volunteer at a soup kitchen. I'm talking about a way of bringing unity, of listening to your neighbor. So, okay, the Bible's all about relationships. right? The, the people of Israel keep having these problems because they break the covenant. The covenant is simply a Let's have a good relationship. Sacrifices were not sacrificed because God wanted people to be miserable. Sacrifices were sacrifices because there was injury to the relationship and one party wanted to know that the other party was actually sincerely sorry. Let's try being sincerely sorry. Let's try to work together over divisions. Scripture, laws, rules, all of these things are about relationships. They're all about actually trying to keep the balance between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. This Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? We can be thankful for a history that involves oppression, death, and destruction because that's what the holiday has in it. Or we can embrace a history that viewed Thanksgiving as a thing of change, 
a history that's slowly been working up there. And if we acknowledge what the past has been, we can go forward and view Thanksgiving as a time for change, a time when we can embrace a new message and a new purpose that is about what we have to give to the other, not about what we have received. So let us stop putting kingdom against kingdom and let us unite ourselves out of the gifts that we have, not out of our desire to receive. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.